We are now a week away from Christmas, so the excitement builds. All right, we're we're getting there. It's uh, that festive season. Now, some of you are probably like a week away, but most of the guys are like, I still have to go shopping right now, probably, right? Uh, but we're getting close. Uh, you know, it's that it's great. The you know everybody's got the Christmas stuff out. The Christmas movies have been on. Uh, you know, you, you've got the time with family, the friends, you're, you're making the cookies now, you're starting to think about the meals, starting to get your supplies together. Uh, you know, the, the decorations, probably many of us now have our Christmas trees up, we've got the decorations on the Christmas tree. Uh, and, you know, some of us are probably thinking like, yes, time off from work, right? So, so that sets in. So. Right, it's, it's starting to get amped up. And of course, you know, as you start thinking too, we think about that idea of presents. Uh, you know, that's like one of the most like key pieces of Christmas, right? The present exchange when it's about to happen. Uh, you know, and there's nothing like giving a good present to somebody, right? There's nothing like seeing their face when, when they light up and they're just like, yes! You know, or like in our case with my mom, uh, you know, usually you get a good present because, you know, the minute she, like, cracks the wrapping paper, like, the tears just start strolling down her face, and you're like, yes! Which, I guess at this point, I think my mom's just getting old and she cries about everything, but, um, you know, but, but you know you've done a good job, though, right? When you've gotten that, like, perfect Christmas present for somebody, I mean, it, it feels really, really good. Well, what do you do, though, like, when this happens, um, when you get the wrong Christmas present? I'm sure we've all experienced giving the bad gift. I'm sure we've all experienced getting the wrong gift, right? Uh, and that's a reality to that part. But I, I mean, you know, that one kid, you know, he's throwing a Christmas tree down. I mean, to some extent, you, you gotta be thinking like, these kids are brats. Like, you know, somebody gotta, I get it. You know, they didn't get you the perfect thing, but you, know, but you could have a little bit more grace. I mean, do we have to go to that extreme when we get the wrong Christmas present? Well. You know, I think the problem is, is because we've misplaced the holiday spirit, right? We've, we don't approach it the way that, that we're supposed to. And, and I want us to think, though, that maybe there's a reason why we've misplaced the holiday spirit. Um, you know, if you think about our holiday season, we have one day to give thanks, right? We call it Thanksgiving. And what do we do on Thanksgiving? We get together with family and we eat and we, we celebrate that time, and then we ship people off to work that very same day. And we open up the stores because we don't even want to give one full day of Thanksgiving, but instead we'd rather have a month of just pure, raw American purchasing power, right? So for the next month, so from Thanksgiving to Christmas, it's all about asking people, what do you want? What do you want? What can I buy you? What can I buy you? They say for 2017, the average adult will spend probably about $900 to $1,000 on Christmas. So basically, in a couple's home, you're talking about spending at least $2,000. Now, some of you may be going, wow, that seems like a lot. Some of you may be going, uh -huh, that sounds really good. They say that 56% um, will accept Christmas debt. And 16% will basically be paying off Christmas in six months. And then the moment that it's paid off, they get to start thinking about how they're going to start paying for it next year. Right? You know, 
Every Christmas, they flood our mailboxes with toy and store catalogs. I mean, it's almost like every day you get another one from a store that you didn't even know existed. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to get you to understand that these are things that you absolutely need to have this holiday season. Uh, I, I was flipping through uh, some toy catalogs that we had, and I was looking at what all the kids had circled, and just about every page, you know, the kids had circled something. Um, and, and two stood out for me. Uh, the first one was Weston's. Weston had circled a rock tumbler. Okay, so you put rocks in there and it just tumbles and then it makes the rocks shiny. Now some of you may be like, oh, that's good science, that's good education. Well, here's the problem with Weston. Weston's a hoarder. Um, he is, I'm just going to admit it, uh, he's going to show up on TLC buried alive one day. Um, but he's a hoarder. And so my initial reaction was great. Now this kid's going to want this rock tumbler and therefore he's going to go out and get tons of rocks and we're just going to have these shiny rocks laying all over the house. And I was like, he doesn't need a rock tumbler. Why? But because he saw it in a magazine, clearly he needed that. But the one that really got me, and, and I don't know if this is just bad parenting or, or Satan, um, but I was flipping through the one, and they had these um, football puzzle helmets. And Catalina had circled one. And I, you know, which is, again, she doesn't really care that much about football, but she had circled the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I don't know. Again, maybe it's bad parenting. I like to blame it on Satan in that. But I just knew, like, this, Chris, this is messed up. Like, what we have done as American populations forcing this on people is just wrong, right? But, but again, if we think about that idea and we look at those people's reactions of, of not getting what they want, I think maybe part of the problem is us. Because, again, all holiday season long, we just reinforce what do you want? What do you want? I'm going to go out and just spend money on you on things that you don't need. Now, I'm not trying to destroy the idea of Christmas here and the idea of, of exchanging presents. But I want us to think about what are we doing at times when we do all of this? And, and I think really what the heart is not that we've misplaced Christ, the spirit of Christmas this season. I think the bigger picture is we have misplaced the spirit all year long. And that's what I want us to address today as we think about this holiday season. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to read through the book of James here. I'm going to start in James chapter, uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll pick up a, the other half of that passage later. But James chapter 4, starting in verses 1 through 5, <clears throat> and uh, here's what it says. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong <coughs> motives, and that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he has caused us to live us envies intensely? So again, I think what we need to address is not the fact that we get bad Christmas presents. I think we need to address the deep recesses of our hearts. And you may be sitting here thinking, Adam, this seems like a really, really odd Christmas passage. Well... 
Maybe that's just it. Maybe it's not that odd, or maybe it's just the fact that we don't want to acknowledge what goes on within our hearts. Because maybe, maybe when we think about all the materialism that happens at a holiday season, maybe this is actually one of the great passages we need to consider. Because when we think about this idea, again, what causes fights and quarrels, it, what, it's what lies within our hearts. Okay? That's why we get mad and that's why we get upset because we desire certain things. And it's this battle about what God wants versus what I want. And more often than not, who wins the battle? It's us. Yeah, we all love to say, yes, I'm always looking for the desire and the will of God. But again, I think more often than not, that happens. And when we think about that idea, what causes fights and quarrels? You covet, you fight, you kill. And maybe you're sitting here going, I don't know, that's pretty extreme, Adam. I don't think I'm that far. But, but let's just stop and think. Think to the last time that you had an argument with a friend, a spouse, a coworker. You got mad at them because you didn't get what you wanted. It didn't go the way that you expected it to go. And so our natural response was to just get angry. I'm sure we could all probably think maybe within the last week, last few days, maybe even this morning. Well, you know what? I haven't killed anyone, though. I haven't killed anyone. So that puts me off the hook, right? Yeah, I've gotten mad at somebody, and I've gotten an argument, and I raised my voice, but I didn't kill anybody. Maybe you haven't physically killed someone. But have you ever said in your heart, I hope they die? Have you ever slandered somebody to the point that you ruined their reputation and their name? Why? Because, again, you didn't get what you wanted. I have. I have. Not here, standing here and saying I've never done that. I have, and I know I do that, and that's wrong. That is absolutely wrong when I do that to people. It's wrong when I get mad at people because I haven't gotten my way. And I'll tell you, when you work with kids and when you have your own kids, boy, doesn't that challenge my inner heart. You know, in 2008, there was a kid by the name of Daniel. And uh, Daniel wanted this video game called Halo 3. And his, his dad was a minister. And his mom and dad basically said, we don't, we don't want this game. We don't think it's appropriate for you. And so Daniel went out, snuck out at night, bought the video game. And the next day, his dad found it. And his dad basically said, Daniel, we, we didn't want you to buy this game. We specifically told you not to do it. And so his dad took the game and locked it away in his safe. About a month later, Daniel took the key to the safe. He found the key, opened it up, got the video game, and also found his dad's gun. And he shot his mom and dad, ran out of the house, holding the video game. See, we could easily look on the news. We could easily look through the websites. It's not hard to find that, yes, there are people that literally kill out of their own selfishness, out of their own evil desires that exist. And so how is it that a society we've gone so far? How is it as a society that we allow these types of responses over something so trivial and something so ridiculous 
I think it goes back to the very beginning of scriptures. And so what does it say in Genesis 1 and Genesis 1.27? Here's what it says. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 27 it says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God He created them, male and female, He created them. See, when God made us, God made us a certain way. God gave us the capacity to think. God gave us the capacity to reason. He gave us emotions and He gave us the concept of logic. And God also did something else. God allowed us to make a choice in life. God allowed us to make the choice of what we want to do, of whether we do right or whether we do wrong, of whether we want to love or whether we want to hate. God gave us that capacity to do that. And so one of the worst things that we did in our freedom to make a choice, in our freedom to think, we disobeyed God. One of the worst things that we did is we looked at God and we looked at our Creator and said, God, you don't exist. That was one of the greatest mishaps that we ever could have done. We looked at our Creator in the face and said, that which created me does not exist and therefore there is no God. And here's why that's so problematic. See, if God doesn't exist, then I have no real existence, right? See, if God doesn't exist, what purpose do I have in life? See, if I'm made in the image of God, right, my, my representation of who I am as a human being, if God doesn't exist, then whose image am I bearing? See, if God doesn't exist, as a person, I really have no intrinsic worth or intrinsic value. There's nothing special about me. And so, here's what happens. If I am told I have no purpose by a God, then I get to define my own purpose in life. See, I get to say, carpe diem, seize the day, eat, drink, and be merry. Because if there is no existence outside of God, when I die, if that's it, then my earthly world becomes everything to me. And it becomes all about what I want and what I need. Because why? Because I have to live my own life. Because I have to make the most of it. Because when I'm dead, this is it. And so... I get mad in this world, not because of injustice. Because, see, in my world, injustice doesn't exist. Right and wrong doesn't exist because I get to define whatever I want to define. So one moment I can say that's right, and the next moment I can say it's wrong. Because the only thing that matters now, if God doesn't exist, it's all about me, and it's all about my happiness and my pleasure. And so when God doesn't exist... I get angry, not because you did something wrong, but because you ruined my happiness. That's what it comes down to when we say God doesn't exist. See, without God, I become the center of the universe. 
the world revolves around me because I have to make the most of this world. And anything that stands in the way of that, I have to fight and defend. I mean, really, if we think about it, if God doesn't exist, what are we left with? The process of evolution? Okay. Well, if I evolved, then I'm simply just part of the animal kingdom, right? And what does the animal kingdom say? Eat or be eaten. I mean, you know, when, when a black widow eats her mate, do we capture that black widow and put her on trial? No. We just chalk it up to nature. But, but as human beings, all of a sudden now, when I get angry and somebody murders someone, we're supposed to put them on trial? Well, they ruined my happiness. Well, yeah, but, but, but you ruined their happiness. Well, I'll tell you what, that black widow sure ruined that guy's happiness. Because we're in the same boat. Because God, God doesn't exist. We've just evolved. And I'm just part of the animal kingdom. So let's put all the animals on the same playing field. Right? Either you're not going to hold me accountable for my crimes, or we're going to start putting animals on trial for their crimes. See, it sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's the way in which we live when God doesn't exist. But see, God isn't in his infinite wisdom realized this. God, in his miraculous, glorious nature, said, I have to, I have to deal with this. Because, see, if I, if, I, if I leave people to themselves, what are they going to do? They're going to proclaim themselves king. And they're going to proclaim themselves king of their own selfish lifestyles. And so what did God do? Here's what God did in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod came, this when he heard this, he, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the, all the people's chief priests and teachers, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the Lamb of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people of Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful a search for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. See, what did God know in his infinite wisdom? He knew that he needed to remind us of something. He needed to remind us that he was king and not us. Because again, if I live as my own king, God knows he has to dethrone that kingdom. And so he sent a baby. In uh, A.W. Tozer, his book called The Knowledge of Holy, he says this, Because man is born a rebel, he is unaware that he is one. 
His constant assertion of self, as far as he thinks of it all, appears to him a perfectly normal thing. He is willing to share himself, sometimes even to sacrifice himself for a desired end, but never to dethrone himself. No matter how far down the scale of social acceptance he may slide, he's still in his own eyes a king on a throne, and no one, not even God, can, that, can take that throne from him. See, here's the thing we need to think about. Our selfishness is normal. That's part of who we are as a fallen and sinful people. And really, it should be normal to us that when people get angry, that we don't get our way. It's a natural process. Because again, I say God doesn't exist. I forget about who God is. And so that's my natural response to be angry when I don't get the way that I want. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So again, we go back to that video and we think about people's response when they didn't get a Christmas present they wanted. Guys, that is their natural tendency. Why are we shocked by that? Because again, all holiday season, we ask kids what they want. We ask people what they want. We put it all over the television. We flood their mailboxes with magazines and say, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And then they don't get what they want. And then all of a sudden, we're surprised. I mean, think about the concept of Santa. You put a child in the lap of Santa and he says, what do you want for Christmas? And the child says, you know what? You know, here's what I asked for as a kid. I want the whole collection of G.I. Joe. I want the whole collection of He-Man. I want the whole collection of Mask. I asked for entire collections of toys from Santa. And you know what Santa's response was? Well, if you've been a good little boy. Think about that. We have told our children that as long as they behave appropriately, they will get what they want. And I'll tell you what, I bet there are some kids that try to act as best as they can, and when they don't get what they want, Santa has lied to them. So again, I don't think we should be surprised, but I think we need to change our hearts is what we need to try to do. And again, God, in his graciousness, said, I have to remind you of this because I know you're going to forget because your natural tendency is to live for yourself and not to live for me. And so again, he sent this sweet, tiny, innocent child. He sent to us this baby lying in a manger that would grow up, who would love the downtrodden, who would love the outcast who would love his fellow humanity, who would love you and who would love me and say, I'm going to show you the extent of my love for you by going to a cross and taking your place of punishment because you don't realize how sinful you are, that I'm going to accept what you did wrong and I'm going to bear the brunt of that and I'm going to die on the cross because I love you so much and I care for you. And I'm going to raise again three days later to prove what? To prove that I am the king and you are not. And I'll tell you what, when you come to that kind of understanding of life, what do we do? We do the very same thing that the wise men did. They make their way to God and they get down on their knees and they worship him. That's what should be happening within our hearts when we experience who God is. 
We say to God, God, you are king and you are Lord. It is not me. Let me humbly bow down and worship you. See, that's, that's why this Christmas story is so significant. That's why it's so crucial for us. Luke 2, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to a firstborn. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, and there was no guest room available. Think about it. Our coming king came and laid in a manger. That is not fit for any sort of king. But that's what God chose to do. And I think that's where the challenge is for us. I think that's where the challenge is for us. Because I'll tell you what, when you look at a baby, right, and you look at this tiny little child, and you think how fragile it is, how innocent it is. It could do nothing wrong. But yet, what they were told back then is, it's this baby here that's going to save you. I could imagine what the thoughts of many people were. I, I'm sorry, wait a minute. You're telling me that as a Jewish person, my king is this baby. This is what's going to free me from the oppression of the Romans? This baby lying in a stinky, filthy manger with animals? This, this is... I, listen, I can easily take care of this baby right now. And God is saying, yes, this is the child that will redeem you. I mean, isn't that what Herod said? I'm going to go kill that baby because I don't want there to be another king. And so I think we scoff at the idea of a child savior. How could something like that save us? Because again, when we think about being saved, we think about somebody come riding in on a horse with a fiery sword that will slaughter all the enemies and will make our lives perfect. That's what we're looking for, not for this little innocent child to save us. But I think what God was challenging those people with, and I think he's what challenging us with, is our pride. Because again, we've forgotten God and say, I want to wear the throne. And we look at a baby and go, there's no way that baby can wear my throne. Baby can't have my crown. It's not good enough to save me. But if we go back to the passage in James, and we pick up there, going back to James 4, <clears throat> right? what causes fights and quarrels among us, it's the di desires within our own hearts. But here's what he goes on to say in verse 6. But he gives us more grace. And that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail, and change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Again, the only thing that could dethrone our kingdom is the true kingdom, which is God. And we have to be honest. That baby that lied in a manger was stronger than any one of us on our best day. We don't even stand close to the power of the Almighty God. And God brought that child to remind us of that. And so as we go through this holiday season of, of what's left of it, I, I encourage us to remind ourselves, who is wearing the crown? Is it you or is it God? Is it you 
or is it God? Because when we think about what I really want this holiday season, I can get a ton of presents. But all those presents are going to clutter my home and they're all going to break. I'm going to be disappointed by the gifts I get and I'm going to disappoint people with the gifts I give. That's just the reality at times. Because all of that is a fleshly, earthly mindset. And what Christ is calling us to is a more eternal perspective. Because what he said at Christmas is, here is the greatest gift anyone could ever give. Because see, this is the gift that you only need. The gift of life through a Savior of Jesus Christ. So again, I leave you with that question. What are you going to do with the crown? Are you going to take it off and put it back where it rightfully belongs on the head of our Savior? Are you going to continue to hold on to that crown and fight against God? Will you lie there in your pride or will you humble yourself and come before the Father? Let's pray. Lord, I, um, <clears throat> I'm challenged myself right now. God, I, I'm such a, a selfish individual. I'm a selfish human being. And Lord, it's not even about presence. It goes far beyond that of this holiday season. God, there are so many things that I demand in life that I expect, that I believe somehow should go the way that I want them to go. And I get angry and I get mad. And Lord, I know I have slandered people. I have not physically killed people, but oh Lord, as I sit here and pour out my heart, God, I've done some awful things to people in my mind, and I have said some awful things. And so God, I pray that I, I can relinquish this crown, that I, I can seek what your will is and what your desire is. Lord, I pray that for whatever is left that I have of this season, that there would be a transformation of my heart, Lord, that doesn't crave anything in this world, but, Lord, simply seeks to glorify you. Thank you for coming. Something so non-threatening. Thank you for coming as a baby to challenge my pride. Lord, you are an infant God of great wisdom and great power. Lord, I want you to wear the crown and not me. Amen.